0: Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. Welcome back to the CCF Podcast. We're going to be continuing our As You Go series by talking about As You Go See during this session. It's going to be covering Acts chapter 9. Uh, now we're going to focus in on the first uh, 20 or so verses of Acts 9. Uh, it's When you look at Acts 9 in the very beginning, um, most uh, of your Bibles that have subheadings will have a, a subheading stating something along the lines of Saul's conversion for this passage, because it talks about um, Saul and and his road to, uh, while he was on the road to Damascus and his encountering Jesus, and just how that kind of really transformed uh, his approach and what he was doing at the time, and, and how he kind of turned his life over to Jesus. All really good stuff, but I, I kind of have an issue with the word conversion there. Um, because... At this point, there's not a huge difference between Christianity and Judaism. In fact, Christianity isn't even called Christianity, as one of the verses mentions here that who Saul is looking for is people that are found belonging to the way, um, which is kind of the earliest name that we have for the Christian movement is they refer to it as the way, um, which was, you know, the way of of Jesus, the way of God, the way that they were following, but pretty much everybody at this point in time agrees that uh, this way is uh, a subset of Judaism. It's within that particular religion. It's just looking at things different way, looking at the, their relationship with God, with Yahweh, in a different way, um, and and there's the whole. Jesus character thing Um, and and so it's a bunch of people who are trying to follow Jesus and do what Jesus did Um, yeah so that's how it looks different but it still is very much considered to be part of Judaism and and I think Paul um, would have thought about it the same way even at his point of time of his road to Damascus experience that he wouldn't have thought of it as conversion but just practicing his Judaism, um, practicing his Jewish faith in, in a new, different way, and following after Jesus. So that's um, just, in general, subheadings are not written by the people who wrote the particular book of the Bible or letter. Um, they were created by the the people who did the interpretation of the particular version that you have, um, and and they've kind of decided what they think this passage is going to be about. But but I think when they were looking at this particular passage, they weren't fully considering history and how these things look um, at this particular position. But that that's just a minor quibble that I have. It's not really a big deal that they use that title. I think sometimes, though, when we read those kind of subheadings, it, it makes our mind go in a different different direction and, and kind of starts to add a lens that we don't need added to the story that we're about to read. Um, so yeah, so because of that, I, I want to analyze this uh, without that lens and see if maybe we see something different from Saul's perspective as to how he views this. So we're going to use the passage from Acts 9. We're going to use a passage from Acts 26. Later on, when Paul is actually on trial and he describes this road to Damascus experience, there's also a a verse in in the beginning of Galatians that also kind of references this point. And so we're going to try to take all those things together and see if we can figure out how Paul viewed this experience uh, as he's the one who went through it. And could can probably have the best perspective on it. But first, we're going to start off with the initial story. This is going to be Acts 9, uh, 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, And neither ate nor drank. And now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight." by which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. All right, so that's the first version of the story. Um, that's, that's what Luke wrote down. Um, again, Luke, um, who, who I believe to be the author of Acts, Uh, is very meticulous in his writing and something that's kind of noted. Uh, There's a lot of detail. It's believed that that Luke did a lot of interviewing of people who were really at at the events. And so I don't think there's anything about this account that would make us believe that it is somehow false or misrepresenting what happened. It, It just has a particular way of stating the things that happened. And then we see later on in Acts, again, still written by Luke, um, a testimony that Paul gives as to how he um, he viewed this, and so this is Acts 26, verses 12 to 18. And again, uh, Paul's on trial here in front of uh, the the king of Israel. Um, I forget if it's one of the Herods or it might be Festus at this point in time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a royal official. That's why he addresses him as king during this discourse. Um, but let me just go ahead and read it now. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so we see within the Acts 26 passage here that there's some additional detail and some additional things that are, that are given um, by, by Paul in this testimony. He talks about the light Coming from heaven. He describes it as brighter than the sun uh, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Um, and, and so I, I think it's interesting because he, he mentions that he's doing this at midday. And so uh, the sun would be noticeable. But when the light comes down, it's, it's brighter than even the sun. And, and so that's a pretty dramatic light. And in Acts 9, while it does talk about the, how there's a light, it's, it's not described in such detail. Um, about its brightness, or, or what exactly is going on. Um, he mentions everyone falling to the ground, not just himself, but him and the servants. Uh, I think the only indication we're getting of people, of given of people who have fallen to the ground in the Acts 9 account is just uh, Saul. Um, it describes how the voice is saying in speaking in Hebrew, uh, which is um, just a significant detail. We're not told the language that the voice is using in Acts 9, but in here it's pointed out that it's it's using Hebrew. And then, um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the same. But then it says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So that phrase, kick against the goads, um, is, is an extra detail that we don't have in the Acts 9 passage. Um, and then Jesus uh, identifies that he's the one being persecuted, and, and commands uh, Saul to rise and stand upon his feet, um, and then gives the reason that he's appeared to appoint him to be a servant and witness to the things that Jesus has done, and and pointing out that he, he wants Saul to be that person to the Gentiles even, not just... Um, for his own people, for the Jews, but also to be a messenger, a, a missionary to the Gentiles. And so we have this kind of extra description that's not just um, the same as in Acts 9, but also is like giving the mission um, of, of what Paul is supposed to orient his life around. And so we've got all those extra details going on, and so I just... I want to give some other descriptions to you and and reference some other scriptures that I'm going to read that I think points to how Paul views this moment. Because the primary difference between the Acts 9 account and the Acts 26 account is that Acts 9 is just given as a generic account of what occurred, while Acts 26 is, is Paul speaking from his own perspective. And I think the reason that Paul has those additions and And we're not to say that that's not what was said or those things didn't happen. Uh, You can have eyewitnesses give you two very different stories as to what actually occurred. Um, I I think there's specific reasons why Paul is kind of um, adding in those extra layers of detail and making sure that those are pointed out when, when he gives his testimony. So... Um, one of the things that happened with Paul is that he was he was blind uh, for three days, and that when he was healed, it describes something like scales falling from his eyes. This this is present in Acts nine. Uh, it's kind of referenced in Acts twenty six as well. Um, so there's that theme of of being blind for three days and then having scales fall from your eyes. Um, the other thing is that this is where the the extra info. Is useful in Acts twenty six. There's that that reference to kick against the goats. Uh, a goad, by the way, uh, not a goat. G o a d. A goad uh, is is basically another name for a cattle prod. It's it's any kind of tool that a, a rancher, a shepherd, someone who cares for animals would use to help keep animals in line and guide them and direct them and and so it talks about how. Um, metaphorically, this is used in Scripture as a way of saying that some people people are resisting God's way. God being our Shepherd, He Him directing us where we are supposed to go. But if you kick against the goad, then that's resisting God's way and not, and not going as He's directing and leading you. The the pr- um we're going to talk about prophets here, and this is going to make sense as this all starts to come together. The prophet most known for kicking against the goads was a guy named Jonah. When God told him to go and minister to the Ninevites, he got in a boat and went the complete opposite direction, therefore kicking against the goats. He also was somebody, uh, when he was... As part of his story, he was swallowed by a sea creature and was in the belly of said creature for three days, where it would have been completely pitch dark. It would have been really hard to see anything. And, And so the idea being that Jonah in this way is blinded for three days, much like Paul is blind for three days. And then scales fall from his eyes. Um, Being the area that they're in, if anything's described like scales, it would be immediately thought and recognized that those would be fish scales. Those are the only kind of scales they would really know well and think of. And so it's just interesting that you've got Jonah... Um, who's swallowed by a fish for three days, has that darkness blindness, and then Paul is blind for three days and then has something like fish scales fall from his eyes afterwards. Now that might seem like a bit of a stretch, um, but there's some parts of the story that makes it sound like Paul is seeing this road to Damascus call as his call to be a prophet. And so... There's ties to a prophet. But the thing about it is it doesn't end with just some of the Jonah connections because we can get some stronger connections later on. Uh, if we look at the call of Ezekiel to his, his being a prophet, there's some things that stand out that sound a whole lot like what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. Uh, so Ezekiel one twenty six, and we're actually going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 7. Ezekiel's experience. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist i saw as it were the appearance the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him like the appearance of a rainbow that is in the cloud on the day of rain so was the appearance of the brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord and when i saw it i fell on my face and i heard the voice of one speaking and so we already have a description of this, this bright light that comes upon Ezekiel as he has this vision of God on his throne and the glory of the Lord. And when he sees it, he immediately falls on his face. And then God speaks to him and says, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. God calls him to stand up on his feet so that he can speak to him. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house." so ezekiel's call also includes um god speaking to him and and giving kind of his mission but also a warning about how the people are going to receive the message that he has to speak as a prophet and and this feels kind of like paul like paul's call to being a prophet like what paul experiences on the road to damascus some of the exact same phrases and calls and and by the way, Ezekiel, written in Hebrew, um, so the voice of the Lord, he would be transcribed in Hebrew. And it says within the Acts 26 passage, that, that is how Paul heard the voice. as one speaking Hebrew to him. And then we have another account from Galatians 1:12 through 6, written by Paul's own hand. It says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel message here. So this is Paul kind of describing where he was at in his life, um, both heading towards the road to Damascus experience and immediately after. That he was advancing, but then God sees him and, and calls him into a different role that he might preach him among the Gentiles. There's a note on Galatians one fifteen, a uh, footnote that the phrase "when he who had set me apart before I was born," that phrase in Greek, more literally, is "set me apart from my mother's womb." Set me apart from my mother's womb. If you're familiar with with other of the prophets. That's actually a phrase that shows up a few times in the calling of prophets. So in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So again, we have the call of Jeremiah here, and it begins with talking about how God had set him aside, had given him a purpose. Um, It's, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you were, I had set you apart for this kind of service, to be a prophet. That's the way a lot of the prophets view themselves as set apart, as called to this moment, even before they were born. And so that's what Paul is talking about, his own call to being a prophet. We also see in Isaiah 49, 5-6. Now the Lord says, <clears throat> sorry, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Another way Isaiah views himself just like Jeremiah did, just like Paul did in their calls to be a prophet. To bring Jacob back to him, this is back to Isaiah, sorry, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And he says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth just a reminder that as these prophets received their call many of them were being called not just to be messengers to to Jacob like and and to the people of Israel is another way of kind of looking at that jacob has his name changed to israel um but also that they're supposed to be prophets to the to all the nations as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth that's the plan for the prophets, for their messages, to go even to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. Jonah is called specifically to the Gentiles, um, which is part of the reason why he goes the other way. He kind of has an issue with that, but this isn't a study of Jonah right now. Jeremiah is called, set aside from his mother's womb, and but he is uh, recognized by other nations, and they, they respect his word. Uh, the Assyrians are kind of around when Jeremiah is, and they're um, basically capturing Israel. But but they have this great respect for the words of Jeremiah, largely because it was being spoken in their favor. Um, but still, there's other nations that have heard the word of of the Lord's prophets and and taken them with with respect and honor. Um, and then Ezekiel is, uh, there's so much that is going on in, in his book of prophecy. It's a really long, it's one of the longest books of prophecy. Isaiah is probably the longest, but Ezekiel, I think, is next. Um, and there's just a lot going on, but, but there's cool things that happen with Ezekiel where part of his prophecy is uh, a vision of resurrection, and it's the first time that resurrection ever occurs in Scripture, as uh, stated, where it calls these, this, he's in this valley of dry bones, and he calls them. Uh, God calls them back to life, and gives Ezekiel this vision. And it's a vision of resurrection, and so Paul has that as he sees the resurrected Lord in a vision, and so he knows of that vision and that kind of call and that kind of purpose. And so you see in the lives of these prophets very much the kind of life that Paul would live, that it would not always be easy for him where he went, and sometimes his messages were hard and difficult, and yet God was still working through him and protecting him, and there's all kinds of stories about these harrowing escapes that Paul has, and, and as, as we continue to go through Acts, we're going to read some of those accounts directly of what happens to Paul and, and his process of being a missionary, being a prophet for God. And this in Acts 9 is his call to be that prophet. I don't think it's a conversion for Paul. Um, he doesn't stop worshiping the God of the Jews because that is Yahweh, That is his God. He doesn't stop being Jewish. There's no descriptions that are given in Acts or elsewhere that, that makes you think that uh, that Paul has stopped following the the commands. He's still very much a Jew, um, but he follows Christ. He follows his Messiah, and he imitates and does what he does, and he spreads the message of who God is so that all can hear it, so that Jews and Gentiles alike can come to understand who Christ is. And that they too can follow Jesus and they can be imitators of Jesus just like Paul is an imitator of Jesus. And so that's kind of the beginning of this, the beginning of how the book of Acts starts to turn and shift and look towards Paul and his message and how the church spreads and grows and, and sees even more people come to know who Jesus is, people who would have been very much on the outside before as Gentiles just because of their birth and the, their their ethnicity and, and those kind of things where they wouldn't have been thought as being a part of this kingdom of God stuff except that God put the word in people's hearts and especially in Paul's heart to let him know that this is actually your responsibility is to preach to the Gentiles so that my name will be known and my salvation will go out to the ends of the earth. So that's Paul's time on the road to Damascus, his vision of Jesus and how it transforms his life.